Let's go again to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, as we just heard that song played, oh, how you loved us, Lord. You show your love for us that in while we were yet sinners, Lord, you came and you gave yourself for us. Dying on Calvary's cross for our sins. So that we might have the life that you deserve in your eternal kingdom. Thank you, Lord God. For loving us. Not casting us out. Not casting us aside for our rebellion. But Lord, you loved us. And you gave yourself for us so that we might have life in you. Oh, Father, today as we began to look in this book of Galatians, this letter that Paul wrote, inspired by you to the churches of Galatia, Lord, I pray that it would speak to our hearts. Lord, show us the true nature of faith. And Lord, let us live by your grace through faith. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. You know, it's easy for us to get off, off track. I remember a few years back, I was... Uh, turkey hunting it's that time of year so that's on my mind today but uh, I was turkey hunting a few years ago up in the Washita mountains there around Perryville Arkansas and I was new to the area so I didn't know the woods very well but some members of the church I was pastoring up there they kind of told me some places to go so uh, turkey season came around and I headed out to the mountains and went up and began to listen for those turkeys one morning I went out to, to listen and I heard one gobbling and he sounded like he was just a ridge over from where I was and so I took off after the turkey went out there I crossed that ridge got up on the other ridge listened he gobbled again he was on the other ridge that's the way I found out it is in the mountains they just there's many ridges and, and no telling which ridge he's on. And so I crossed another ridge and went after that turkey. I chased him that morning for two or three hours. Uh, never got that turkey. I'll just be honest. I didn't bag him. He, he ended up, he quit gobbling and never heard from him again. But when I got out there, two or three ridges over from where I actually started, I looked around how did I get in here? And how do I get out? I hadn't a clue. I mean, I'd been so busy chasing after that gobbler. I didn't pay attention to anything. And it was actually dark when I started in after him anyway. And, and these were new woods. I've never been in them before. How do I get back to where I came from? Well, luckily that morning, uh, I was smart. And a lesson I learned many, many years ago, that if you're going to, especially if you're going in to hunt in a place that is unfamiliar, there are two things that you always carry with you. You carry a map of the place and a compass. And so I got my map out. I looked. 
I knew that the road I came in on, I found it on the map. I knew it ran north and south, and I was just uh, east of that road. And so I knew if I just headed west, I would come out on that road where I parked my truck. And so I got out my compass, I got my bearing, and I headed east. And sure enough, eventually I came out on that road. Now, I wasn't, didn't come out right at my truck, but I found my way back to my truck because I had my map and my compass. You know, it's easy for us to get off of track, and, and not only when you're out hunting, but even doctrinally. Even doctrinally. When we talk about Christian doctrine, when we call, talk about the doctrines of, of the Christian faith, it's very easy. Scripture tells us we are prone to wonder, and we can get off track doctrinally. And so we have to have something to keep us on track. We've got to have something to keep us on track with what God tells us is true doctrine. Today we are looking, beginning a study, a series here on the book of Galatians. We're going to work verse by verse through the book of Galatians. And we come to that this morning, and I want to, to show you this, that now, here we have a church, these churches in Galatia, they were an early church and a very young church, and sure enough, they get off of track right, out of the bat, right off the bat. Let me give you a little bit of the context of the book of Galatians. Galatians, the churches of Galatia, were established in Paul's first missionary journey. Throw up the map there, April, or Amber. So the first, Paul's first missionary journey, he had three missionary journeys that are recorded for us in the book of Acts. And on his first missionary journey, he established the churches in Galatia. And so if you can see there, he started there in the church in Antioch. And that's Antioch there. And he started there. He hit the, the island of, of Cy Cyprus. And then he went on over here to Asia went through Perga there, and then right there, that's Galatia. And you, I don't know if you can see the, the name there, but this region here is the region of Galatia. And he established three churches in the region of Galatia. You have there Iconium, then he went down to Lystra, and then over to Derby. And so once he established that church in Derby, then he worked his way back through the churches and then back around to Antioch. And so he established these churches on his first missionary journey. Well, no sooner than he got back to Antioch, he got word, already the churches in Galatia have gone astray. They have gone astray. You see, Paul, he had some opponents out there. And these opponents were called what we call today Judaizers. They were Judaizers. These Judaizers... Uh, they, they liked the Christian faith. They, they were Christians. They believed in Jesus. But they also wanted to get along with the religious establishment, the Judeo-religious establishment back in Jerusalem. And so they thought, well, here's what we'll do. We want, to, we want the approval of the apostles, and we want the approval of the high priest and all of the, the Sanhedrin council. So here's what we will do. We will go preach Jesus plus the law of Moses. Jesus plus 
the law of Moses. So they were going to preach Jesus, salvation by grace through Jesus Christ, but to be saved, you had to have Jesus, plus you had to be circumcised. Plus, you had to keep all the, the Mosaic Covenant, keep all the festivals and all the days and the months of, of celebration that the, the Jewish religion uh, observed. And they were going through after Paul and teaching these, these new churches there in Galatia, you have to have Jesus plus the law. And Paul is writing the book of Galatia because this church is already getting off track doctrinally about an essential doctrine salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone and so that's what the book of Galatia is all about it's about getting this church back on track getting them back on track and so Paul here wants to to correct them and his whole purpose here is that the churches of Galatia would get the gospel right Get the gospel right. So today's message is entitled just that, Getting the Gospel Right. And we look at, we're looking at Paul's introduction, his salutation to the churches of Galatia this morning. Just five verses. And even in this, these five verses, even in the salutation, his greeting to these churches, he wants to lay down a foundation upon which all doctrine should be based upon. And so this morning, we're going to see this. There is only one gospel. Therefore, we need to make sure we get it right. There is only one gospel. Therefore, we need to make sure that we get it right. And as he begins to teach them that there is this one gospel and how they should get it right... We're going to see here this morning in this salutation two key principles to which we must hold fast in order to get the gospel right. Two key principles to which we must hold fast in order to get the gospel right. And so today I want you to leave here grounded in these two key principles. So if you found your place there in Galatians, Galatians chapter 1, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. So I want us to see this morning two key principles of which we must hold fast in order to get the gospel right. And, and, and this is true for all Christian doctrine, especially this first one. This first 
this first principle here is key to all Christian doctrine, getting all Christian doctrine right. And that is the gospel is defined by divine directive. The gospel is defined by divine directive. That is, the gospel is defined by the word of God. You see, Paul here, he establishes this right off of the bat. Look at what he says, Paul, an apostle. Paul, an apostle. He declares right off the bat his apostleship. Now, this is very important because as we, we think about what is an apostle, this is an important office within the church as a whole, the universal church, e even for us today. Uh, the, that term apostle means an ambassador, someone who represents another. He is going to speak on the behalf of another. Now, in the church, this became a, a specific office. And when it comes to an apostle, there were only a select number of apostles. In fact, the office of apostle, one of the key requirements to the office of an apostle was they had to have seen the risen Lord Jesus. They've had to have seen the risen Jesus Christ. They had to see him face to face. They had to uh, witness his resurrected person, his resurrected body. And so we see in the, in the beginning of Acts, Acts chapter 1, there were 12 apostles. Well, there were, were 12 during Jesus' time, but you know Judas, he, he sinned against God and he, he, uh, he, he turned Jesus into the officials and ended up killing himself because of that. So there were 11 and then they needed 12. They, need, they felt like they needed to have 12. There was a purpose for 12. And so then the disciples, the 11 disciples, they cast lots, putting it in God's hands to choose who, whom he would to be that 12th apostle. And the lot fell on Matthias. And so you had the 12 apostles. All of these had seen the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, then, as we read this morning, then along came Paul. Paul was the 13th apostle. He was apostle to the Gentiles. And God himself, Jesus himself, came to, to the apostle Paul, and he commissioned him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And so as Jason read this morning, we saw his conversion. He witnessed the resurrected Jesus Christ. He, he saw him bodily there on the road to Damascus. And because of that, God, or through that, God called him to be an apostle. Now, apostle is not like a prophet, or, or it's kind of like a prophet, but not like a preacher or a teacher in, in the rest of the church. An apostle has a very specific uh, duty. Uh, they were called to speak directly on behalf of God. In other words, God used them to speak for him directly, his direct word. Now, I'm a preacher of the gospel. I have been called to this office in the church, and I speak for God, but I speak for God by his written word. Right? So I have his written word, so I stand before you week after week, and I preach to you God's word that is written for us. I declare it to you, I explain it to you, and try to apply it to our lives. But the apostles, they had a very special office. They didn't have to have 
God's written word. They did use God's written word. They had the Old Testament. And so they preached from the Old Testament. But they were there to proclaim a new word from God. And that's why we have the New Testament. They were inspired by God to write the New Testament. And Paul says, I am an apostle. I am one who is called by God to this special office of declaring directly to you the very word of God. And he makes this point even further. Uh, he says, not from men nor through man. Not from men nor through man. In other words, Paul's saying, it's, I'm not coming to you as an apostle on someone else's authority, on, on this group of men's authority. He's not been called to the apostleship through the office of an apostle through other men. Nor is he speaking on his own behalf nor through man, not on his own behalf. He's not just speaking uh, his own words here, but he says, I am an apostle through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. His apostleship, his calling to the ministry was through God. It wasn't through men, but it was through God. And so he is speaking to them on God's authority. On God's authority. So Paul here explains to us that the divine directive was delivered through human agency. It was being delivered through Paul. Again, we see here uh, in 2 Peter, Peter tells us about this. He explains it further. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 Peter tells us this, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Paul and all the other apostles who uh, developed for us the New Testament, they spoke from God as God was carrying them along, as the Holy Spirit was carrying them along, speaking to their heart. Directing them what to write. And so, Paul writes to us God's Word. Now, it's in Paul's style. You can look at all the books of the Bible and see the different styles of the different human authors, but it was such that God moved each author to speak the very words that He wanted them to speak. And so the book of Galatians, along with all the other books that we have preserved for us in this Bible, are the very Word of God. And so Paul writes to us in the book of Galatians by the authority of God to clarify and to keep us straight in our doctrine of faith. So the divine directive was delivered through human agency. And the divine directive, furthermore, was confirmed by the church. It was confirmed by the church. In other words, Paul, is, he's not just stating this on his own, but he's, he, he wants to bring in this point here that this is confirmed by the church. He's not just speaking out of turn. But this is confirmed by the church. 
and all the brothers who are with me, he says there in verse 2. You see, Paul says, I'm an apostle, not from men or through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. But not only that, uh, but it's also been confirmed by the church that I've been called to this office. They speak here with me. They are here with me. They affirm and confirm what I am telling you. You see, God, this is the way he works. He seldom ever, if ever, works outside, the tr outside of the church. Even as an apostle, Paul was approved by the church. The church as a whole saw Paul. They saw the movement of God in his life, and they confirm God's calling upon his life to be an apostle. In Acts chapter 13, verses 1, we see one of the instances here where God calls uh, Paul and Barnabas out to, to be missionaries to these churches. Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 1, Now there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. That was Paul before he changed his name. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, He spoke to these men and said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And so again, here in Galatians, Paul is just confirming that he's not on his own here. He's not speaking on his own behalf, but he has been called by God, and his calling by God has been confirmed and affirmed by the church. So the divine directive was delivered through human agency, through Paul. And the divine directive was then confirmed by the church. Third, we see here that the divine directive is preserved for us in Holy Scripture. This is God's directive to us today. The words of Paul preserved for us, the words of Peter, Isaiah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all of them, all of their word that they wrote on behalf of God under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God has preserved for us for 2,000 years now so that we would have this as our directive today. So I want you to see this, friends, that we get our direction from God's Word and from God's Word alone. We need to uh, confirm that and affirm that in ourselves, in our own church. We need to make everything that we do, everything that we believe, it must come from God's Word. And there, here's the reason. Because there are so many people out there, there are so many voices that want to pull us away from God's Word. In fact, that's what Satan does. Satan will come in like an angel of light and he will speak partial truth. You remember the Garden of Eden? He spoke partial truth, but then it just feared a little, a little bit. 
But you see, dear friend, when we veer just a little bit, we're off course. When I was in boot camp, we did a land navigation course. And so we had to learn how to take a map, plot coordinates on that map, and then taking a compass, find our way to each one of those coordinates on that map. And so they had a land nav course. And it, it was this big open area, and there were poles out there. Everywhere that, that, that there was a marker, there was a pole there with a number on it. And so here we were, young Marines. We had our maps. They had given us certain, everybody had different coordinates to go to. And, and so we couldn't just buddy up or anything like that. We had to go on our own and find these coordinates. And so we had to sit there and plot out all these different coordinates, all these different points that we had to go find on a map. And so then we would take that map and we'd take the compass and we would go find these points out here on this course. And once we got to a point, we would write down that number. And then at the end of the course, we had to go get our numbers checked to make sure we found everything right. And if not, we'd had to show, they would have to show us how we got off course. Well, as we began, I did pretty good right off the bat. I went and I found two or three of my markers, wrote them down. But I got to one point and, and I looked across there and I, I saw where I was, thought I was supposed to go on the map. But as I looked, I mean, I was looking out there and I couldn't see anything, right? I couldn't see the pole to my next point on the map. But right over there, I saw a drill instructor. He was standing beside a pole, and there were a bunch of different Marines coming to him. So I thought, hmm, man, I must have figured this wrong. I must have gotten off somewhere. And so instead of going the direction my compass was telling me to go, I went to the drill instructor. And when I got over there to the drill instructor, he, he said, well, let me see your coordinates. I showed him my coordinates. He said, you're off course. He said, you're off course. Where you're supposed to be, you're supposed to be right down yonder. And I looked and I saw the pole that I was supposed to be going to. And sure enough, it was right down the line of where if I'd have just followed my compass, I'd have been right on course. But I saw the crowd. And I went to the crowd instead. You see, we can get off course by following the crowd instead of following God's word. We can't follow the crowd. But we have to submit ourselves to God's holy word. What does God say? Period. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what the rest of Christianity says. What does God's word say? We have to be bound by the word of God. We must hold fast to the divine directive preserved for us in holy scripture, period. We must hold fast to the word of God. So, first key principle then is the gospel is defined by divine directive. The gospel and every doctrine is defined by God's word. The second principle here, the gospel is grounded in God's grace. The gospel is grounded in God's grace, and I added there, alone. It's grounded in God's grace alone. 
As he continues on with his salutation, he makes this plain to us. In verse 3, he starts by, by defining for us very briefly. This is a very brief kind of definition, but he, he kind of uh, brings it down, boils it down to, to this. This is, this is salvation in a nutshell, if you will. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In that is the definition of salvation. Grace to you. What does grace mean? Grace is the unmerited favor of God. It means unmerited favor. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. There's nothing we can do to earn it. These Galatians, they've gotten off track because these Judaizers says, no, you've got to have Jesus, plus you've got to do something to earn it. You've got to keep the law. But Paul says, grace. It's about grace. It's about God's unmerited favor. Dear friend, I want you to know there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. There's not a thing that we can do to win favor in the eyes of God. Because everything we do, everything that we do is marred by our sin and our rebellion against Him. There is not a thing that we can do to win God's favor, but the good news is God gives us His favor freely. God's grace is His unmerited favor. Grace to you and peace. The second part of that is peace. Because you, you, you know what you and I need more than anything else in the world? We need peace. And we need peace with God. Because of our sin, because of our rebellion against God, we don't deserve peace. In fact, Scripture tells us that we are sinners. We are rebels against God. And we are, in fact, at enmity with God. We are enemies of God. Enemies have no peace with God. But by God's unmerited favor, we are granted peace. We are, the, the, the war has been ended. The battle is over. No longer does God look upon us in judgment. But because of God's grace, His unmerited favor, He brings us peace. He offers us peace. Oh, dear friends, that's the heart of the gospel. We were at war with God because of our sin and our rebellion but by God's unmerited favor, by His grace, He brings us peace. And this peace that He brings us, furthermore, this salvation is Christ's accomplishment. The definition of salvation is grace and peace. But this salvation is then accomplished by Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave Himself for our sins. You see, it's Jesus Christ who accomplished all the work. 
You can't do anything to gain salvation. It's a free gift. And it's God the Son who accomplished all the work. He is the one who came. He stepped down from his eternal throne. He came and was born of a virgin Mary. Not having the sin nature in himself, he was able to live a life in complete obedience to the Father's will. He lived without sin. He never rebelled. He never did anything against the Father's will. And though he was without sin, Jesus went to Calvary's cross. He willingly laid himself down on that cross. He willingly allowed those nails to be hammered into his hands. He deliberately, he willingly allowed himself to hang there and allow the full wrath of God for our sins to be poured out upon himself. He did the work. He bore the, the labor. He bore our sins in our place. He did it all. And so, foolish Galatians, what can you add to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? Dear foolish person, what could you ever add to the work of Jesus? There are many out there today who would say, well, I just need to get my life right before I can get in church. No, no, no. You need to turn to Jesus. Because all the work that you could ever do, it is dirty, filthy rags before God, and there's nothing that you can do to save yourself, but Jesus has accomplished the work for you. Jesus Christ. God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, He accomplished salvation for us on Calvary's cross. So salvation is defined by grace and peace. Salvation is Christ's accomplishment through and through. And salvation, furthermore, is by the Father's initiative. It is by the Father's initiative. It's accomplished by Jesus. Jesus did the work, but the Father, He initiates it. He initiates salvation. He's the one who initiates this whole thing, right? Look at what He says there again. Jesus is the one who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age, this sinful world of rebellion. But notice here, according to the will of our God and Father. It's according to the Father's will. Jesus came to accomplish the Father's will. I want you to see this. I want you to understand this. Before God ever created a single thing, He knew man would sin. And God could have said, well, forget that. I'm not going to create them. But by His grace, He created us anyway. And in, and, and in eternity past, in eternity past, before the first thing was ever created, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they communed together, they met together, and they covenanted together. Yes, we will create man, and yes, they will sin against us, they will rebel, and they will deserve hell, fire, and judgment. But we're going to save them. We're going to save them. And God the Father, He willed that salvation come to mankind. And He looked to His Son, Jesus, and He says, Son, I'm going to send you to die on the cross for their 
sins. You are going to accomplish the work of salvation for them. Dear friends, your salvation is not according to your will. If it were up to your will, you would forever be lost. Salvation is according to the will of God the Father who set this whole thing in motion in eternity past. He knew you would be here today. He planned it all. It's all according to His will. Salvation. Salvation is by God's unmerited favor, His grace. It brings us peace. And salvation is accomplished through the work of Jesus Christ by the Father's initiative. And I'll just add this in here. It's not in this text, but we'll see it later on in the book of Galatians. It's, it's initiated by the Father. It's accomplished by the Son. But it's also brought to bear. It's brought to, to, to be actual. It's affected by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who, who brings salvation to us. It is by His Holy Spirit that, that our hearts are made new and alive. So while the Father wills, the Son, He accomplishes the work. It's the Holy Spirit who makes it actual in our lives. So God saves us by his grace he brings us peace to himself even though we are rebels and sinners christ accomplishes the work of salvation on calvary's cross and the father initiates it but i also want you to see this that salvation is for the glory of god amen Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins according to, uh, to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This all this whole thing, this whole work of salvation, it's not for your glory. It's not for my glory. It's for God's glory. It's for His glory. It's to His praise. I want you to see this. I want you to see in Romans chapter 4. If you, have your, if you want to flip over there, Romans chapter 4. Flip over a few pages. Romans chapter 4. Here the Apostle Paul writes about this salvation by God's grace through faith. Romans chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, that is, the saving, if he was saved, if he was justified, if he was counted as righteous in the sight of God by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. In other words, Righteousness was added to his account. His, his account was delinquent. And God added to his account righteousness. The righteousness of Jesus. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. 
And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And it's all for God's glory. If it was about our works, if we could do anything to save ourselves, we would have a reason to boast before God. But Paul says, "Uh uh-uh, no. If it were up to us, we would happily skip our way into devil's hell in rebellion against God. But salvation from start to finish is the work of God And it's not for our glory, it's for His. So that at the end of the day, when we stand before God, we don't say, well, Lord, look what I did. No, we say, Lord, look what you did. Look what you have done. Praise be your name for my salvation. Praise be to your name for my salvation. Praise be to your name that I can enter into your eternal kingdom. Praise be to your name. All glory and honor be to your name, O God. It's all to His glory. You see, that's the problem. When we want to take some kind of... uh, We want to... We want to take credit for some part of our salvation. We take away from God's glory. But Scripture tells us we can't take away from His glory. It's not about us. It's not done by us. It's done by Him through and through. We have no reason to boast. And who wants it? Praise be to God for the salvation He gives us in Jesus Christ our Lord. Oh, dear friends, salvation, the gospel, is to find by divine directive. It is defined by the Word of God. And it is grounded on God's grace alone. He is our Savior from beginning to end. There's no way ever that we could ever boast before God. Without God's grace, we are blind wanderers, lost in a dark and evil jungle with no hope of salvation. But by God's grace through faith, we are redeemed. We are reconciled. We are saved. Dear friends, we need to get the gospel right. You need to make sure today that you have gotten the gospel right. Let me tell you, there are many voices out there that will try to lead us away from the one pure gospel. But let me tell you, dear friends, there is one and only one gospel. Have you ever been misguided by a GPS. There were three ladies uh, driving in a rented Mercedes up somewhere around Seattle, Washington. And they were unfamiliar with the area, so they dialed into the, the car's navigation system, the place that they wanted to go, and they began to follow the voice of that GPS system They followed it and took every turn it told them to turn right up to the point that it led them down a long boat ramp into the Mercer Slough. Now the three ladies, they got out fine, but the 
the car drowned. Friends, there are a lot of voices out there today who will tell you this gospel, that gospel, this other gospel. They'll add, they'll take a little bit of Jesus and add something to that and, and they'll give it to you as gospel truth. But dear, dear friends, there is one gospel. God the Father sent His Son Jesus Christ who was God in eternity past. He's always been God, always will be God. And God the Son stepped down from His glorious throne into this world. He lived a life in complete obedience to His Father's will. And though He was without sin, He went to Calvary's cross where He died. He poured Himself out on our behalf, in our place, for our sins. And he was raised three days later, showing that all sin had been paid for, assuring us of eternal life and a resurrected life in him. And Scripture says if we trust in Jesus, we turn away from that life of rebellion and trust in Jesus, follow Jesus, he will save us. That's it. That's the gospel according to God's word. There's nothing added to it. If you add to the gospel anything to the gospel, it's no longer the gospel. Dear friend, are you trusting in the gospel this morning? Are you trusting in the Word of God? Dear Christian, let me ask you, have you surrendered your whole life to God's Word to live by His Word, not by what the world says you should do, not by what the world says is right, but have you surrendered your life to God's Word, what He says to do, what He says is right? Have you surrendered your whole life to God? If not, let today be the day that you put away all those other voices determined to listen to one voice given to us through one Lord and one Word. O oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, as we look at the world today, there are so many Gospels so many things out there, Lord, that, that promises us good, that promises us reward, that promises us happiness and joy and, and all of these things that we're searching for. But every one of those paths, Lord, leads to destruction. But there's only one voice pointing down one path that leads to life. Lord, let us set our course on that path. Let us tune our ears to hear your voice. Guide us, Lord, into your eternal kingdom. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Stand with us if you will.